This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Hi, this is Joanne Worley, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Woo! <laughs> Ed Robertson, author, guest, Moosey Dreyer, Moosey Dreyer, youngest cast member of Rowan Martin's Laughing, Howie Borden, son of Howard Borden, on The Bob Newhart Show, and an actor who has worked with such legends as Jack Lemon, Tim Conway, Barbara Eden, Ephraim Zimbas Jr., Carl Reiner, George Burns, John Denver, John Wayne, and Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I got lucky, and I worked with Barbara Streisand, and, uh, yeah, I, and, you know, Laughing, Laughing had, we had John Wayne, you know, I got to meet John Wayne as a kid, I mean, come on, that was crazy, and I remember shaking his hand, and his hand, I felt like could wrap around my hand twice. He was huge. He was a larger-than-life character, yeah. but he was very large also, like physically. And um, I remember being in awe meeting John Wayne. I've been told by people who worked with Wayne that, yes, he was larger than life on screen, and he was a big man. As He was a big man physically, as you just alluded to, Moosey. But off screen, he was down to earth, didn't make a big deal of himself. Uh, he was just another actor. And actor to actor, he would work with you, whether you were a co-star, whether you were a day player. I mean, he was an actor's actor in that respect. Yes, and I remember being, he did a movie with a bunch of uh, child actors called The Cowboys Mm -hmm. in the 70s. I remember, I don't even think I got to audition for that movie, but it was like, it was one of those, one of those parts I wanted. I I just wanted to be in a Western with John Wayne. I mean, you know. Shoot for the top. <laughs> uh, you know, I think every actor has their, you know, parts that they wish they would have gotten and they didn't. Um, but yeah, he, he seemed like a nice man. You know, the laughing was different. Where you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any scenes with him mm-hmm. or any, you know, bits. I guess they wouldn't be scenes on laughing; they would be sketches. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I remember um, that there was nothing but great things to say about that man. One last question about Newhart, and this connects to Laughing. I, I forgot Dick Martin was one was the director on one of the Newharts you did. Oh yeah, yeah. He um, apparently was asked to direct because uh, him and Newhart were, were very good friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think his first directing gig he, uh, was Bob Newhart show, and then Dick Martin went on to direct a whole bunch after that, a lot of sitcoms. But uh, I do remember it was a little bit of a reunion. I walked on the stage, and, and it was weird. Dick Martin's walking over to me. You know, and like, that was the last show. That was my last show. What's he doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Dick Martin was such a sweet, sweet human being. He's we- very, uh, you know, when you get directors who were actors or performers in any way, they really get it. Yeah. You know, they seem to be, they want to come over and make sure you're comfortable, because they've been there yeah. on the other side of the camera. You know, they've been in front of the camera, so they want to make sure 
that their actors are, you know, happy and comfortable and in a good place. And I, I would imagine that when you when the opportunity came for you to become a director, I would imagine you kept a lot of that in mind in terms of how you approach your fellow actors when you're giving them direction. Absolutely. You know, uh, getting into the DGA and, and directing, um, there's a couple different paths. One is through acting and then becoming a director. And the other is through either um, being an assistant director or an editor. And those directors are really great, like, on the technical end. They're great, like, with lighting and all the technical stuff. And then the the former actor-turned-director directors are great with the actors, but really have a whole lot to learn about the technical side. So, very interesting. A couple years ago, I did an interview with a playwright, and he kind of walked us through the process of mounting a play, working with the director, working with the actors from day one of rehearsal to opening night. We mentioned in one of our opens, you've directed for the stage. You've directed a lot of theater productions. Do you have a particular process when you put together a stage play, or does it depend on the actors and does it just depend on the material? Well, no, there's not, there's not really a cookie-cutter, in my opinion anyway, there's not a cookie-cutter process for directing theater or anything for that matter because every show is its own unique situation, mm-hmm. its own style. I think at the table read is when I start deciding how this is going to go, how the process should lay down, because, you know, you don't want to go, well, this one thing worked on my last show, so I'm going to do it this show, but it could be, you know, there's a different nucleus, a different different dynamic with the actors, the, the piece itself is different, the pacing and the writing is different, so you need to keep an open canvas right from the beginning and put a, a unique process on it that fits that exact piece. It sounds like in a lot of ways you have to be as good a listener as a director as you are when you're acting. Because you have to, I mean, you, you may have you may have a vision, an overall vision when you start production, whether it's a play for film or a play for the stage, but you have to be flexible enough to call an audible and say, okay, let's, let, let's adjust your game plan because either the way I had it in mind isn't working the way I thought, or you discover you have something in front of you that you hadn't thought of when you first planned it out. Yeah. Yeah, you, you do have to be a good listener. Um, you have to zoom out in your head more as a director and look at the, the project as a whole. As You know, you have to look at everything and not just uh, what you do as an actor. You look at your, your part. I mean, you look at the whole production, but you really focus on your role. As a director, you have to focus on the entire piece. So it's uh, definitely a different hat. And yes, listening is everything. I always make sure that I let the cast know that I'm a uh, best idea wins. Let's collaborate. I don't have that kind of ego to where it has to be my idea. Please approach me if you have something, and I will. If it's better than what I came up with, it's in. I, I check. My, I try to check my ego in at the door, and just keep working for the best production, the best performance. This kind of segues into what I want to ask you about next. I admire actors who not only do voice work but who are able to create voices and you you know we, we mentioned in our open that you you've, you've done a lot of work you, you've done a lot of voiceover work both for animated you know features and, and 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 other kind of voice work what led you to voice acting and 
does the voice build the performance or does the performance come out of the voice you're doing for that project? Well, I just approached it when I got into voiceover work. I approached it as the same way you just approach acting. You just happen to not be seen. There's no camera. It's just a microphone. So it's, it's basically the same process. You're, you're just acting. And um, even with on-camera acting, there's so much in the inflection. There's so much in the voice. So I would just approach it the same way. And the way I got into it was there was a woman who I was in a movie with who I ran into once many years ago. And she said, hey, do you ever do voiceover work? And I said, yeah, from time to time, I've done a few things. She said, well, she gave me her number. She said, I'd love to see if you want to, you know, join forces and I'll get you some work as a voiceover actor. And I, I was already at that time thinking, I love acting, but I, the on-camera acting uh, wasn't as much of a passion of mine as directing. So if, uh, if I could maybe do less on-camera acting and direct and do voiceover acting at the same time, then I can, you know, make my health insurance and pay my mortgage or rent or whatever through the voiceover stuff and focus on directing. And that's, that's how I got into it. That's what I did. Then we went on to do Shrek and Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda and, you know, a lot of animated stuff and, a lot, and Avatar, but a lot of stuff that wasn't animated. We do, you know, I do... Um, uh, the Weatherman on a radio, or just the silly stuff uh, in movies, and um, it's a great gig. The uh, voiceover acting is a great gig if you can get it. I know it's a really hard nut to crack. I know that sometimes, when doing voice work, sometimes you're in the same room with your fellow actors, so you're able to you're able to uh, play off of each other as you would if you were acting on screen, and in some Sometimes, because of schedules and whatnot, you work in isolation. I would imagine it's always better for your performance if you have someone to bounce off of. Yeah, I, I, I believe that 100%. But you don't always get that, like you said. There was a movie, one comes to mind, called Monster that uh, Charlize Theron did. Mm -hmm. She won an Oscar for it. Mm -hmm. And one of the other stars in the film, Christina Ritchie. From the Adams Family, yeah. Yeah, great actress. Well, this is the scene where she she calls home and talks to her father, and her father's yelling at her to get home and, you know, stay away from that woman. She's bad news and whatever the dialogue was. And um, that was me, and we I didn't get to play off of her. I had to listen to her pre-recorded stuff and have a conversation with a pre-recorded voice. <laughs> and that's, I think, what you're talking about. That's, that's challenging. Yeah, but there, once again, you, you dig down deep and you imagine, you somehow imagine you're talking to somebody, even though even if you're not, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and the, the challenging part about that, um, besides what meets the eye, is that, so the other actress, and, the, and that one particular case was Christina Ricci, she already pre-recorded, so her dialogue is the same every time you hear it as opposed to feeling like you're in a live conversation. Yeah. You know exactly how she's going to say it, but you need to react as though you're hearing it for the first time. And that, yeah, that's a challenge. And But that's why that's why they have actors do it. That's why they have actors do it. Moosey Dreyer is with us to share a few memories about his career in front of the camera, as well as his work as a voice actor and as a director for the stage and 
film. You can follow Moosey Dreyer on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. Early in our conversation, we mentioned that early in your career when you were working as a kid, you were working on major motion pictures and you were working on you know major top-rated television shows. I, I, I would imagine even if you weren't watching, say, the FBI, you had to know that that was a popular show, even if that's not a show that you were watching at the time. I would imagine even in the back of your mind, you, you knew that was a good gig for you to be on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and there were a number of those, FBI, uh, police story, uh, gosh. I, you know, and I got to work with um, James Gardner. He did a show. Nichols, Nichols. Nichols, yes, exactly. And, yeah, no, I, I, I was well aware at the time, you know, when I'm working with these people or doing these shows, like, wow, I'm actually on FBI or yeah. I'm actually on these shows. It was, It's all very surreal, and, uh, yeah, I was well aware. On Nichols. I remember there was, we were shooting, Nichols was a Western, we were shooting, I don't know where, but there was a rattlesnake that started slivering towards James Gardner mm -hmm. and I in the middle of a scene. And, and suddenly, you know, there was some commotion because people around the camera and whoever, the director, were seeing the snake. James Gardner took a step away, and I just kept talking. And they're like, well, well, didn't you see the snake? And I said, yeah, but you never said cut. <laughs> so my, my, it was my, probably my mom's favorite story to tell. You know? Well, that goes, um, that goes back to what we said earlier in our conversation, Lucy. Even at a young age, you had a presence of mind that went beyond your years. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's something the child actors um, sort of need to do. You need to... You need to act like a kid, but you can't in real life always act like a kid. Yeah. There's a, there's a profession to it, for better or worse. I know some of the cop shows you did in the 70s, you know, they, one may blend into the other, but you did have FaceTime in one of your scenes with Ephraim Zimblis on the, on, on the FBI. Do you have any memories of working with Ephraim? You know, that one, was, it's weird how vivid some of my memories are and how fuzzy others are. And that one, I, unfortunately, I don't have any anything to add about that. But, um, gosh, I wish I did. I wish I did. Well, it was I a got good... to work with M Myrna Loy. A lot of people ask me about working with Myrna Loy, and that was, uh, I, she was she was amazing. And, um, yeah, no, I wish, I wish I had something for you for FBI, but for some reason it's one of those, Oh, yeah, jobs. Like, the, oh, yeah, I did that, as opposed to remembering every moment. Well, the flip side of that is when you work as often as you do, I mean, you can't expect to remember everything. And uh, that just, again, you know, you were very, you started working when you were five. You, you just had a birthday recently, and you're still working. And that's, that's all any performer can ask. Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens as a child actor, in most cases, and mine is no exception, you forfeit your opportunity to get a college degree because it's just working all the time yeah and i'm very fortunate because i didn't go to college my education was in the entertainment industry now, i have a degree there but there's no actual physical degree that's what my education was so yeah i'm really lucky that um without really anything um to fall back on 
that I got to survive all this time. This is a loaded question because this is a very unusual time and some projects are back in production, some projects are on hold until until the pandemic stabilizes. But with all that being said, what are you working on these days and uh, that, that you're able to uh, disclose? Well, here's the thing. So I hate to tell people I've been working during this pandemic, but the truth is I have. But, but I know and I'm sensitive to the fact that so many people have not. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to talk about it because, you know, people are struggling and, and that's a real thing. And I, it's certainly not all about me while well, I'm working. So, you know, there's some sort of built-in guilt factor about it, but I had to build a sound booth in my house and um, record remotely. Mm -hmm. And I have been working on um, a couple different movies this whole time during the pandemic. One is a a little movie called Half Brothers that we completed, but another I'm doing, still working on, is something that I signed an NDA for that I'm not allowed to really talked about but it's very timely and they're rushing to get it out and um yeah we we signed i've never seen an nda this (laughs) (laughs) but um it's a good one i'll just say it's a mini series and we're five episodes completed and we have four left well, when the miniseries drops or however, or, or however it's going to be released and you're able to talk about it, I hope you'll come back and visit us again on TV Confidential. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, so, I, hate, I hate to hold secrets. I want to tell you what it is, but, but you'll see when we talk about it why specifically the NDA was so strict on, on this one. Okay. Well, I'm going to hold you to this. Oh, I, 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 hope, I, hope, I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I will. I will, Ed. You're, right. you're great. I love it. You can follow Moosey Dreyer on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Don Wells. Eric Braden. Jansen Williams. Roy Finnis. Peter Borschel. Lindsay Wagner. Loretta Sweat. Ben Asner. Uh, a lovely, enchanting interview. It's all the conversation. It wasn't an interview. Well, thank you. That's, that's what I try to do. That's why I, I try to make this a conversation. You made it. That's TV Confidential every week on this station and every day online at televisionconfidential.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.